Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. Today, Josh Marlowe is with us, and guys, we are right around the corner from the start of fall camp, and uh, I, it is it is that time. It is time to start going through. Uh, we have a, you know, a couple of guys that have already previewed the season. We've got a few more that uh, we are going to be rolling out to you here before the start of the season as well. Um, so it's, gonna, it's an extremely exciting time for uh, the college football, the upcoming college football season, because this is the first time really this offseason that we've been able to actually sit down and talk about what is going to happen on the field. There's been all this talk of realignment. We got into that. We've done that. We're moving on. Now we're focusing on the 2022 football season. And look, Carolina they're not the favorite to win the Coastal this year. Remember last year, clearly the favorite, a team that a lot of people thought could be the biggest threat to Clemson. That, of course, did not work out, so that has kind of reset the expectations around the Tar Heel football program. And now this team is kind of seen anywhere from third to, I would say, fifth in the ACC Coastal. I think a lot of people kind of look at Carolina as that third or fourth team this year in the ACC Coastal. But there are a few people. There are a few talking heads around the country that have picked the Tar Heels to win the Coastal Division. So today, we have to sit down and discuss how is it possible for Carolina to win the Coastal Division? What has to happen? And ultimately, do we think that this is a legitimate possibility? Do we think Carolina can actually get this done this season. We're going to talk about that. We've also got a couple of uh, important closing notes for you guys, a bunch of stuff that is going on around Tar Heel football that maybe you didn't, uh, you missed with all the stuff that's been going on with the recruiting. You've had a, you know, a guy that has left the team as well uh, and will forego what was supposed to be his sixth season. So we're going to talk about all of that here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Uh, But first of all, buddy, we are right around the corner from that first game. So, uh, I mean, how excited are you? I know uh, the level of excitement maybe isn't where it was last year, but uh, the season is finally in sight. And I think at the least, even if we still have some concerns about this Tar Heel football team, I think we can feel confident about the fact that we are putting this offseason behind us and we're actually focusing uh, focusing on what is going on on the football field. I'm just glad we're now at the point in the offseason especially with us working in the media. We can start talking about the teams, the players, and the games because the the, the realignment stuff has dominated uh, most of the offseason talking point in college athletics, and rightfully so. It's another uneasy time with UCLA and USC bolting for the Big Ten, but this past weekend was really that first weekend where I got the itch for football. Um, you know, We're both pretty big Met fans, 
The Mets have been, uh, you know, a, a, a first place team in the NL East for the majority of the season. So I've really just enjoyed the baseball season. Right. But on Saturday, I kind of once the Open Championship went off and there was nothing to watch at two o'clock on Saturday afternoon. It was like, you know, it would be nice if there was a college football game for, for, for me to put on my television. And so with that, now it's go time. You know, we got media days this week with the ACC and the SEC. The Big 12 was last week. So I believe the Big 10s is next week. And then before you know it, as you mentioned, we'll be in camp. And then that season open for Carolina is just roughly over a month away because they do play in week zero. So. Yep. Um, it's it's definitely starting to get there. Not the same level of intens- uh, of of anticipation like we had last season with the team that was a preseason top ten team, but this time it's different. There's still expectations. There's still stuff around this this team that we're excited to see how they bounce back from a disappointment. So getting ready to go. Yeah, one of the most important seasons in Tar Heel football history, I think, to determine the direction of the program and. Uh, We'll be talking a ton more about that as we get closer and closer to the season. But uh, let's jump in and talk about, you know, there were, as I mentioned, there were two talking heads here recently that had the Tar Heels winning the ACC Coastal this upcoming season. Most people in the camp of Miami or Pittsburgh, I would expect that you'll probably see Carolina, as I mentioned at the start, probably third, anywhere from third to fifth on a lot of people's ballots when they release the official media poll for uh, the Coastal after everything is wrapped up at ACC Media Days. But Greg McElroy, he was the first guy. This was last week on Gramlitz and and McLean. It's a show that's done, uh, I believe that, is it only on ACC Network? I believe that's, yes, that's where it's at. Um, Kelly Gramlitz, Eric McLean, they have their own podcast on there. And Greg McElroy stopped by to tell you why he thinks that the Tar Heels are the favorite and should be the favorite in the ACC Coastal this year. So there you go. You hear that from Greg McElroy. That's a national talking head. Um, and look, you know, I think he he brings up some legitimate points. I think the point about this team being the expectations for last year maybe being a year ahead of where they were supposed to be in terms of the talent, the young talent on the roster makes a lot of sense. But there there is that concern of replacing your star quarterback, all that kind of stuff. Well, he's not the only guy that said this, though. A guy that you've had on your podcast before, a guy that we've had on our radio station that we work for here in Charlotte many times before, Josh Graham of WSJS in Winston-Salem, a guy that a lot of Tar fans are probably so-so on because he's a guy that has really strong opinions one way or another. He, who picks who picked Pittsburgh last year to win Was the, the only ACC guy Coastal. to pick Pittsburgh. Only guy to pick them last year. He is picking the Toriels to win the ACC Coastal this year. So there you go. So you got both of those opinions. And look, here's the thing. You can dive into exactly what they're saying. But I think the way that we want to approach this is from our standpoint, what do we think is the the recipe, the formula for Carolina to be able to get to the ACC championship game. What does this team have to do to get there? And so I went, and, and, and I think it's, it, we need to go elements of this team that need to be in place for this team to win. Clearly, I think there's two that you have to start out with that are the most obvious. The first one, to me, you have to be more consistent on the defensive side of the football. There were flashes at times last year of a defense that looked the part. There were guys that flashed at times. One of the best examples for me is Miles Murphy. First half of the year, he had eight and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks. He finished the year, the final six games of the year, with half a tackle for loss and no sacks. Yeah. You need more consistency from this defense as a whole. And we're talking in-game shifts. I'm not going to mention which game at the end of the year you saw a team just completely fold on itself late in the game and change the course of everything that was happening. You've got to avoid those types of lapses. And I think there's a few elements that go into this. One, 
and I think we heard we heard this a lot last year in the preseason, and they weren't able to execute it. You need more non-blitz package sacks. You need your guys up front to win those one-on-one battles against teams in the trenches. If you don't, I don't see any way that this is possible. And that's one recipe that, believe it or not, if you go back and look, Gene Chizik's defense defenses in 2015-2016, they weren't really able to do that. Now, here's the difference. This team, I think, has more talented guys than that defensive front, than those defensive fronts did back in 15 and 16. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if Carolina wants to to be a legit threat in the Coastal, they've got to be much better defensively. And by much better, we're just asking to be average. Because I, I do feel like Phil Longo's offense has proven that once they figure out who's going to be under center – they're going to put up their fair share of points. But this was a defense last year that didn't stop hardly anybody from the from the onset on. Um, you were giving up 40-plus points to Georgia Tech, Florida State, Miami, stuff like that. And that's just – that that cannot continue. Um, the interesting thing about it is when you look at Gene Shizik's defense in 15, mm-hmm. that, that turned it around and Carolina was able to get to the ACC title game – they had a very good secondary. You look at the secondary he has this year, you could maybe argue it, it's it's much more talented. It's much more deeper. The linebacking core, this linebacking core is way more gifted than the linebacking core he had in 15. Same thing with up front. They've got more talent up front. They've got more depth up front. This is the deepest defensive team we've seen since Butch Davis was the head coach mm-hmm. of the Tar Heels. So... There's reason to believe that they can they they can take a big step forward because and I know we've been saying this it feels like forever they can't get much worse defensively and if they get if 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 they don't improve this season it's going to be a really long fall in Chapel Hill but if they can get to holding teams to 25 points a game 24 points a game then this team can be in the mix come November because the offense, there's a track record of this offense scoring its fair share. And and, and I, I just don't think, like, you knew with Sam, if you had to get into a shootout, you could go win shootouts. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be built to win shootouts from September through November. Maybe by October they'll, they'll be able to go do that. But if this team wants to steal a game that they probably shouldn't win, and that's what you're going to have to do if you want to make the ACC title game – you got to be much better defensively, so it does start on that side of the ball. Well, look, I mean, this team could be built to win shootouts right out of the gate. We have no idea. We have to find out, is is this quarterback that comes in, does he transition that easily? Is Phil Longo's offense that easy to learn? Because we've heard from multiple NFL people that his offense is way too simplistic. So is it that simple to come in and pick up on it? But here's the thing. If you're the Toriel defense one, you can't worry about that. Two, you shouldn't care. You have all this talent on the defensive side of the ball. You, It's time to start proving yourself. And it's not, at this point, it's not on the coaches. They have made the coaching staff changes that I feel like they needed to. Tim Cross is the one guy that we've said, let's wait and let's see on him. If, if he struggles again this year, that might be the one guy. We don't have any other questions really about the other guys. We're we're pretty secure with where things are at, and I'm more. I, you know, I know you still have your questions at times about Dre Bly. I think Gene Chizik seems pretty sold on him, and so does Charlton Warren. So I don't think you have to worry. But overall, it's time for these guys on the defensive side of the ball to step up and start playing bigger roles because some for some of these guys, you can't use youth as an excuse. For guys like Miles Murphy, well, you can't use the class that he's in as an excuse. First of all, now an upperclassman. But second of all, even at times late last year, you couldn't use that as an, ex- as an excuse because how many snaps had he already played? So it's it's time for guys to take on more responsibility and to step up. And I think it starts with that defensive front. One of the things that Gene Chizik, I think, did a really good job of the first time with his defensive front as you notice, look, there were a lot of tackles for loss. There may not have been huge sack numbers, but there were guys that could get in the backfield and slow down the run game. And that's still been one of the big issues for Carolina. The numbers, look, this is the one thing. Jay Bateman is a guy that received a lot 
of flack late in his time at Carolina, and deservedly so for what we saw towards the end of 2020 and into 2021. He, this defense is nowhere near as bad as Vic Koning's defense when, when Gene Chizik took over the first time. Those numbers are not even comparable. But you've got to find a way to be able to get more of those non-blitz sacks. You have to be able, we, we have heard Gene Chizik talk so much about this, you have to be able to get off of blocks and make plays in the open field. That is mainly the linebackers. Look, man, Cedric Gray did some really good things last year. Cedric Gray also missed a ton of tackles in the open field. He's got to be a more shorthanded tackler. And in terms of getting off blocks, that's the whole team. Yeah, That's been something that they have not done Ever. in the last few years it feels since, like. since Butch Davis. or Well, I would say since Gene Chizik. You saw guys that got off of blocks and made tackles all the way through to the secondary. It doesn't feel like, I mean, the numbers would tell you they are making tackles, but it's just when you watch the games, you know that a lot of those are way down the field. A lot of those are guys that, you know, just pretty much luck themselves into tackles. It's not them making physical plays, and that's the thing that you need more from this defense, more physicality. The other thing, the communication on the back end of this defense has to get better. That's the biggest problem for the secondary of Carolina. Now, overall, for the secondary to improve, the first thing that we talked about has to happen. If you can't get pressure up front, these do, no no it doesn't matter how good you are. No corner, no safety is going to completely take guys away if you're not getting any pressure and you've got a quarterback standing back there for 10, 12 seconds. It's just it doesn't happen. So, it, it's it's something that is a collective effort. And ultimately, you've got to find guys that are going to consistently give you good play after play. Not guys that are going to show up and give you good for two or three plays in a quarter and disappear for the rest of the quarter. They've got to find those types of guys moving forward. The other one that's severely, severely obvious, this team has got to get improved offensive line play. Yep. If that does not happen, there is zero chance for this team. And it has to start out of the gate. Because as much criticism as you can give Sam Howe for holding on to the football too long, and I do think that that is a problem that may not it may not be as much of an issue with some of the guys that are there now. That's something that we've heard them mention. You are still talking about a dude that pretty much did everything he possibly could to put that team on his back last year. I don't think that Drake may, maybe Jacoby Criswell can do it with his build, but even still, those guys are not making some of the runs that he made against Georgia Tech, against Miami. If Drake May takes that hit, Drake May's not getting back on the field. So you've got to protect your quarterback better. Last year, Carolina allowed 93 tackles for loss, 128th in the country, and 29 sacks, which was tied for 110th in the country. It's not going to be easy. You lose four or five starters from a year ago, but you bring in some transfer help with Corey Gaynor coming over from Miami, Spencer Rowland, highly regarded guy coming up from the FCS ranks at Harvard. And you've got your new offensive line coach in Jack McNell. I saw some guys talking about this earlier, some Tariel fans talking about this earlier. There is this is one unit that a lot of people are pretty positive about. I think a lot of people are somewhat hesitant about the defensive side of the ball because of the struggles they've had for years. But I think looking at McNell's track record and just the fact that you get a lot of the guys that were there, that were holdovers last year and that really struggled out of there, I think people are starting to feel more confident about this unit. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the things that we were complaining about after the season ended was the lack of firing of Stacey Searles. He kind of took that off of our hands because he left for a different job, and you can make the argument that Carolina back into them or you know back into their way into upgrading that position from a coaching standpoint. The stats would tell you they did. There's there's talent on the offensive line. And I know that I was very critical of that group last year. No. Because stop. there was talent there that we weren't getting the most out of. And I, I do feel like with the new coach we'll be able to get the most out of the talent that exists on the roster. And if that happens, 
then there's a very good chance that this offense finds a rhythm and finds an identity very early in the season. If not, if we're giving up 30 sacks and nearly 100 tackles for loss, you you don't have a guy back there who's who's Sam Howell. Now, Drake May or Criswell, they may very well be a very good quarterback, but Howell was a a once-in-a-generation type of guy, the best quarterback we've ever seen come through our program. He could elevate and, and, and overcome those types of things. This new guy's not going to be able to. And so I think that's got to be a real point of emphasis is that we got to be more consistent running the football with our running backs, and they weren't able to do that last year. So kind of like the defense where it's kind of hard to get worse than they were the last couple of years, same thing for, same thing for the offensive line. It can't get much worse, and if it does, I don't want to watch it. But I, I do think there's reason to be optimistic with the coaching change, with the transfers they brought in, and the talent they've recruited on that line since Mac Brown got here to see that that unit take a marginal step forward in 2022. No, I, I mean, there is no way you can get worse than last year. It's it's that simple. That is the worst offensive line that I have watched a Tar Heel football team roll out there week after week in my time watching Tar Heel football. And that... That might be one of the worst offensive lines that I've seen my college or pro team roll out there. And I'm a fan of the New York Giants. That's really saying something. That offensive line, and the see, this was the frustrating part about that offensive line. I think, as you saw in the NFL draft, there were talented guys there. I don't think Joshua Zudu was a terrible player. I don't think Marcus McKeithen was a terrible player. But the consistency just wasn't there. And that was throughout the whole unit. You you talked about the running game. Look at two of Carolina's biggest wins. The Virginia game and the Wake Forest game. Carolina ran the ball with, with ease. They did whatever they wanted in those games. There were other games where they couldn't do a single thing on the ground. And I think when it comes to this Phil Longo offense... And you you said it, was it last year? Or it might have even been back in 2020. The key to this offense is to run the football successfully. Yes, the passing game is huge. Primarily, you have to get your deep passing game going because this offense thrives on big plays. But if you cannot run the football consistently, there is no chance for this offense to succeed. And... I think that's what Carolina's got to get this year. Look, there's questions about the the running game. We'll talk about that here in a second. But you need your offensive line to do their job first. There were times early last year, and part of that could be, well, it was on Ty Chandler learning and a new offense, whatever. I don't think that was it. I think you either know how to find holes or you don't. And you saw later on in the year, Ty Chandler started finding – those holes pretty consistently because it felt like they were there more often. Early in the year, there were times Carolina could not block anybody. That, that game against Virginia Tech was pathetic. And, I, again, still to this day, question why the hell Stacey Searles decided to put Awesome Richards at guard. He, he can barely handle the physicality on the outside of tackle. How are you going to put him inside at guard? Damn it. But... I, I think that this team has the capability, and you talked about the talent is there for this group. I don't know if we'll see him right out of the gate. Zach Rice will factor in on that offensive line at some point as a five-star true mm-hmm. freshman. But there's plenty of other talent, and there's still a lot of seniority in that group as well. I mean, a lot of people, well, you lose Kieran Johnson as well. So that's four or five starters, as I mentioned, that are gone. Kieran Johnson was supposed to return for his sixth year. He, you know, earlier this week said on social media he will not be returning for that sixth year. So my thinking, trying to remain somewhat positive here, is he saw everybody else around him and looks and says, I don't know how much playing time I'm honestly going to get this year. That's what that's what the hope is. And there seems to be some pretty good positivity around that offensive line unit. But now it's about can you find that best five, and can those guys be consistent? 
Can some of those guys step up? Can Austin Richards step his game up and become a more consistent left tackle that can protect a better snap-to-snap? Can Ed Montillas get back into a starting role and handle being a starter instead of you know, really just thriving as a rotational guy? I'm, I'm pretty confident about the two transfers coming in, but... You know, is there somebody, can, can Zach Rice prove that he can beat out a guy in Spencer Rowland who's done it before at Harvard? If he can prove that and Rowland can be your rotational guy, that would that would be a huge statement for this group. So hopefully they can find that moving forward. The other one, these are, these are really the big three. It's that consistency on defense, the offensive line play, and you have to be more disciplined. Mm-hmm. Last year, Carolina averaged 69.2 penalty yards per game. Nice. Not so much. 13th worst in the FBS and 6th worst amongst Power 5 teams. Here's the thing. You cost yourself a win in a game against the team that won the ACC Coastal. You could have kept yourself in the running for a coastal title, who knows how the season ends up? If you would have beaten Pittsburgh and you had it, you, you had it on that Thursday night. It was right in your hands. You could have won it in regulation, and unfortunately, you ended up getting backed up. Kick a field, kick a field goal, go to overtime, and you lose because Pittsburgh gets the ball first, drives down and scores with no weather. You get ready to take the field, absolutely monsooning. So, Carolinas, they have got to figure that out. That's been one of the things under Mac Brown that has progressively gotten worse and worse that I am really shocked with. Because when they first came to campus, I thought in 2019 and even early in 2020, they did a really good job discipline wise but last year just everything fell apart yeah and I made this comment a lot last season that I feel like at the college level you've got to teach your kids to be disciplined and I know some of it is that some of it was on their end where they were making bonehead mistakes stupid penalties getting caught up in the emotion of the game or something like that but they're at the end of the day they're still they're still college kids so you're having to you know instill that discipline in them and he made a comment last last offseason before the season where he didn't run his team. And I think that that kind of showed up in the season because usually why do you run at the end of practice? It's for penalties, turnovers, missed assignments, or something like that. And so I think there was just this whole calmness and then this whole relaxation around the team. And then you get out there, and like you said, the game against Pittsburgh. That, that single-handedly cost you a game. Mm-hmm. You had first and goal at the two-yard line. And that, look, there that wasn't the only cage. You and, had, and, and you had time. You had the game in your hands. Right. And you, you had to settle for overtime. You go back to the Miami game, which you won, but we made a lot closer. Florida State. There were games. Multiple third down and long penalties on defense that just left you scratching your head. To to me, that's a a coaching issue where Mack Brown and his staff, they have to be, and it was mainly on the defensive side of the football with the untimely penalties, the false starts, stuff like that. I thought the offensive line, he got better over over the course of the season. I think that's something that Gene Shizik is really going to hammer down with this group defensively because let's, let's face it. He's a hard ass, yep. and he didn't he didn't get out of TV to come back here and be just some soft spoken guy. He sees what we all see, which is an opportunity for this program to uh, you know reach the heights that they've been rumored that they could reach for the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. And he has more talent than he had when when Larry was here to get all of that done. So I'm gonna be very shocked if this isn't a disciplined football team because if it is. That's a direct reflection of the lack of leadership that exists from Mac Brown on out through his staff. Well, here's the thing about it. You've preached about how you feel like this team has more depth than any of the teams that you've had beforehand. Well, show it. If guys are 
repeatedly making mistakes. Bench them. Yeah. I mean, look, there there are always going to be 50-50 calls. There are calls that you'll look up on the screen as a coach and you'll say, oh, that pass interference penalty, that's a little ridiculous. That wasn't pass interference. But there are certain penalties where, yeah, it's take a guy off the field. Nope. Hey, man, we got another guy that can rotate in. We got a guy behind you. There's no drop-off when we put him in the game. You make a mistake, we're taking you off. And we're and 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 we're gonna figure something out here. Like, I, that's the point that you have to get to. And I mean, Mac Brown has said it this off season, and I think Gene Chizik has mentioned it as well. The bench is a tool for this team this year. We did not hear that any other year. And and honestly, one of the more frustrating parts. You talked about how Mac Brown said he didn't run his team last last off season. The thing that makes no sense is now, this offseason, we've heard from Mac Brown saying he knew his team wasn't that great back last spring. So how was there not more adjustments? Like, I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand how you realize that in the moment. Was it that you just didn't want to believe it? I I don't understand. And I think the discipline is, is probably one of those aspects that – Maybe they thought they were a more disciplined football team, and when they got in season, they really weren't. But yes, that's those are the three key elements I think that you have to have in order for you to have success. The other ones that I put on here, first, I mentioned it a little bit when we were talking about the offense as a whole. You need the you need to see other offensive weapons emerge besides Josh Downs. Which means, one, you've got to find, look, this is now back-to-back years that you have 1,000-yard running backs and guys that are very highly regarded out of that backfield. Yep. So now, who's that next guy? Is it that easy to really plug a guy in there and and, and have him take over and run for 1,000 yards? Because there are people that think that is possible. But who is that guy on this roster? Is it British Brooks, who returns for an extra year, I mean, it's possible. He showed some good things at the end of the season last year. I mean, you don't just run for 295 yards in the last three games of the year, and we're just supposed to act like that's nothing. But you need other guys in that running back room. Mac Brown has said, we need that second and third guy to step up. There's been no separation. You've got to find somebody that could step up and be at least that number two guy and maybe find that number three guy in the process. To me, it's even more important at receiver. Yeah. I get it. I, I want to believe that Antoine Green can be a, that guy for 12 games. But he wasn't last year, so you got to put a lot of hope into what we saw at the end of the season. I think he's your best bet. There's no doubt about that. I also really like Kamari Morales, but we talked about Miles Murphy first-half production last year. Kamari Morales, very similar, disappeared in the second half of the year, especially in the red zone. But you need those guys, I think, to take the next step, and then you need other guys to emerge. I love Bryson Nesbitt. I think he's got a ton of potential. That's the guy that I think you need to keep the the the, the biggest eye on. But the rest of that receiving group, you you've got to find somebody else from that from that group. The two freshmen from a year ago. Maybe it's one of the true freshmen that's coming in this year. Somebody else has to step up and help out this offense because if they don't have weapons that can stretch the field all over, they're going to be in trouble. The good news is is that I think there's weapons at their disposal. I love the talent that exists in both the running back and the wide receivers room. It's just now about getting those guys on the field and seeing what they got. They've got to find someone to throw the ball to other than Josh Downs. Look, he's a hell of a player. He's going to be a preseason All-American. He's going to be, you know, on the short on the short list to win the Belitnikoff Award, which goes to the best wide receiver in college football. But teams now have a, a, a full they've had a full offseason to game plan of how to take him away, and so you've got to find other ways to combat that. Whether that's with a Kobe Paysauer, Gavin Blackwell, one of those guys to throw the football to, one of those guys have to emerge. There's talent there. There's depth there. So I do think it's possible. Um, but, you, you know, I, it would be a lot easier to believe that 
one of those one of those guys could emerge if Sam had come back. If you weren't breaking a new quarterback, it'd be a lot easier to to see that coming to fruition. Which is why I have the biggest the biggest doubt I have about this team being a legit coastal contender. Because the one thing that Greg McElroy failed to mention when he picked Carolina, the, the, the comparisons to Gene Chizik was great. But Carolina also had Marquise Williams coming back. And they knew at that point they'd finally smarted up and realized at the time he was a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky and was ready to lead the team. And that's that's the one thing this team doesn't have this year. You've got to answer all these questions on defense and on offense also having to answer the most important question that exists on the field, which is why it's really hard to see this team today winning the Coastal. Well, I, the other thing I put on here is good quarterback play. I don't necessarily know if it has to be great because I do think that your running game, if you can find, if you could find two guys, primarily three in that backfield, that can carry your running game, I think a good enough quarterback could get you over the hump to win the ACC Coastal. Because here's the thing. I don't, I mean, do we think Keaton Slovis is a great quarterback? Probably not. He's probably a guy that if he's good, then Pitt can win the ACC Coastal. Just remember what you said about Kenny Pickett not being a great quarterback, and look what he did. Yeah, he's getting ready to lose the starting job to Mitch Trubisky in Pittsburgh. So that makes makes a lot of sense. That was cute. Um... No, I mean Kenny Pickett deserves the praise. I I don't I still don't think people that compare him to Joe Burrow in the year he had last year, that's insanity. Joe Burrow had the best season in the history of college football. Kenny Pickett did not even come close to that. Um but and then with Miami, you know, you got to figure out is Tyler Van Dyke the real de- I think there is a chance he could be. I think it's the first time in a long time that it makes sense for you to believe in a quarterback there. Every game he played since after the Carolina, which was, if I remember, that was his first start, I do believe. Yes, first career start in that game. I, Did play in a in the game before, before most of the game. I think every game from Carolina on, he threw for 300 yards or more every game. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's some... He's the real deal. He's got some gunslinger in him that would concern me from a turnover standpoint in, in big games. That's probably the only thing. And I guess the other thing is there the, always the, the lingering Miami struggles. It, that, that That's going to linger in the back of your mind when you talk about that team. But I think for Carolina... And here's the thing. Jacoby Criswell and Drake May, there's a reason these dudes were four stars coming out of high school. There's a reason that Drake May was committed to Alabama before he flipped his commitment to Carolina. These guys have a lot of potential to be really good players. My concern, my concern is not about their ability to play the position. I think one of those guys can come in and give you pretty good quarterback play. My concern is, are they going to pick a quarterback before the start of the season? Because the way that Mac Brown has talked about it, not as much. Phil Longo is, is I he seems like he will really wants to find that guy. Mac Brown seems like the guy that's more open to running a two quarterback system because he's done it before. He cites times they did it at Carolina. My thing is, especially in the modern era of football it does not seem like two quarterbacks work you have got to find that one guy I like both guys too I think they've shown some really good things but you have got to go into that final week of fall camp with your starter you got to know who it is because if you go into that Florida A&M game with two quarterbacks you're not going to learn anything you're not learning in the only way that you can use that game with two quarterbacks is if you are strongly leaning one guy and you want to see him in action just to confirm your thoughts other than that if you go in even and think you're going to you're going to solve that question through a week zero game against Florida A&M it's just it's not going to happen and if you take two quarterbacks to app I don't know. I, I don't see that going Carolina's way then. Yeah, I mean, like, that right now is my biggest hindrance on if I think this team makes a bowl game or not. Is if if we entered the season knowing who the quarterback was, 
barring injury, I'd probably be more lenient to give them a win or two that right now I'm not willing to give them because I just don't know who the quarterback is, and we don't know when we'll find out who the quarterback is. And September isn't easy. you got to go on the road to App State. That's going to be one of the toughest road environments they play in all season. Notre Dame comes to town in, in September as well. A, a lot of people, for some reason, have been talking about heading on the road to Georgia State, too. And this is multiple people that have said this. So maybe there's even more to that game than a lot of people realize. That's still one you should win, but that's maybe not as easy as even the team you played a year ago. So, um, you know, I've been very vocal that I believed all, or I've believed all along that Drake May is going to be the quarterback. Yep. I still think he's going to be the quarterback. We just don't know when. Now, if Carolina emerges and they and they enter week zero and Drake May is the starter, then we can revisit this conversation, and I could be a lot more willing to believe the Greg McElroys and the Josh Grahams of the world, but not knowing who's going to be, you know, we used to say under center, but now it's in the shotgun, makes it hard to believe if Carolina – is a legit threat to be a coastal a winner. Can they finish third? I think that's and that's probably where they're going to fall when media day concludes and they release their predictions and stuff for the season. I think that's very attainable. Winning the coastal without knowing who the quarterback is, I don't see that in the fold for for this Tar Heel team unless the unless the defense becomes a top fifty unit nationally. Yeah, well. It's not like any of us have boldly predicted before that this defense would take a major step forward. I did that last year. Yeah, you did. Um, Top 25. That's right. That's right. And Jay Bateman is now uh, not even a defensive coordinator. So, yeah, that didn't really work out in my favor there. I don't think that I'm going to be that bold this year. I don't think. We'll have to wait and see. But um, I, I my thing is, is I don't think it – has to be Drake May. I think that Jacoby Criswell can be your starter and you could win the ACC Coastal because, to me, I think there are some similarities, especially with how he plays to Marquise Williams. I think he gives you that ability to run the football. He runs with an edge like Keese did and like even Sam Howell did. So, we'll see. Um, But I, I think, again, that is one of the things that I am most afraid of with this team is that they are going to try the two-quarterback experiment and you could head into that game against Notre Dame with a loss on your schedule that leaves you scratching your head or maybe even two if you're not careful. And that would be a disaster for this Toriel football team that, again, as I said, this is one of the most crucial seasons in program history. You have got to figure out what direction you are going with this program because it's time to stop spinning the wheels. The talent is in place. Now you have to be able to do something with that talent. So I I think it's possible. I, I don't I, – there, there have been plenty of other years where it's been a further stretch than this season, but a lot of things have to – break right, I think, for Carolina to win the Coastal Division. To me, it has nothing to even really do with Miami. I think Pittsburgh's the team that's going to win this division again this year. And in order to beat that team and be able to take this division, I think you've got all all of these things have to come together for you. There's no doubt about it. So we'll take a quick break, let you hear from DraftKings, and then when we come back, couple of quick notes, and we will be getting you guys out of here for this edition of the Heel Tough Block Podcast. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, 
your betting options feel endless. I know there's a lot of you that are Braves fans. Go and bet on the Braves and their upcoming series on DraftKings Sportsbook. I know I'll be doing the same for my New York Mets. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. It is time to get to the closing notes here on this edition of the podcast. And we will start by telling you about a guy that is going to be in Charlotte now tomorrow instead of one of the guys that was intended to be there. Cedric Gray, the uh, junior linebacker for the Tar Heels, uh, will be making the trip down to Charlotte tomorrow along with Josh Downs and British Brooks. He will take the place of senior defensive lineman, graduate defensive lineman, that is, Raymond Vohasek, who is actually dealing with a personal matter per Inside Carolina's Ross Martin. He reported that yesterday, so... Cedric Gray switches in. Pretty cool opportunity for him being a Charlotte guy. Played at Audrey Kell High School uh, here in the city of Charlotte. So uh, a really great opportunity for him to come back to his hometown and experience ACC Media Days. Also, I think a really interesting opportunity to ask him about a position group that I think is going to be one of the more hotly contested with the guys that they have at that linebacker position. Some really good depth there. We saw a lot of good things, of course, you know, in flashes last year and in the spring from Power Eccles, Ra Rod Dilworth, but also the true freshman Sebastian Cheeks really looked good in the spring game. So uh, it'll be real cool to talk to him tomorrow uh, out there at the Westin in Charlotte. Meanwhile, Josh Downs, named to the Maxwell Award watch list. That is a guy, that is an award that is handed out each year to the guy in college football that is considered the best all-around player. So that's a huge honor for him to even be on that watch list to start the season. Kind of shows you where he is at in the pecking order of some of the best players in all of college football. Meanwhile, British Brooks, the Toriel's starting running back, uh, as many expect, coming into the season, named to the Doak Walker Award watch list, and again, finished the season on a tear. We'll see if that can carry over into this season, but what an honor for him, a guy that went from being pretty much just a special teams player uh, and a forgotten-about member of that backfield to a guy that is now a team captain and is going to start for the Tar Heels at a key position this upcoming season. The 2022 roster was officially released yesterday. Uh, there are a couple of things that are noteworthy. We tell you guys about that uh, in the latest article that we have up on the website. Ethan West and Wisdom Osaburo are two guys uh, that are going to take medical hardships west a guy that came in in the 2020 class uh, at linebacker and just, uh, I mean, banged up his entire career, could never get on the field, only played two games in a Tar Heel uniform, and that was his true freshman season as a special teams member. Hate to see the fact that he is going to have to medically retire. And same thing with Wisdom Osaburo, a guy that you really wonder. He had to re- he ended up reclassifying and came to Carolina as a 17-year-old um, it just never really clicked for him. Started on the defensive side of the off uh, of the line. Ended up shifting over to offensive line. Um, you know, saw some action in the spring game here back in April. Really struggled at offensive tackle, and now uh, is taking that medical leave. Uh, both guys will remain on scholarship to be able to finish uh, their. Uh, schooling and uh, will not count against the 85 uh, that Carolina has in terms of scholarships uh, that they can put on the field. So uh, that could definitely help Carolina in that respect moving forward. One of the big things uh, that you guys may have seen the other day, uh, former Tar Heel wide receiver Ryan Switzer, he has retired from the NFL after five seasons, went in for another surgery earlier in the week. And uh, you just hate to see it. A guy that, you know, Carolina was just such a special talent there from the minute that he stepped on campus as a freshman and had that electric season with five punt returns for touchdown um, and, and, you know, ended up being a guy that is still atop most of the receiving charts at Carolina 
Uh, just, you know, a guy that never really found his footing in the NFL, spent time with the Dallas Cowboys, the Oakland Raiders, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and eventually the Cleveland Browns. But uh, his career, unfortunately, will come to an end after five years. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Guys, make sure you head over to the website, check out all the stuff that we've got up there for you guys. A bunch of stuff on the recruiting trail. We have a a recruiting podcast coming up. That'll be coming out tomorrow night. Make sure that you guys check that out. We'll be breaking down the Rico Walker commitment to Carolina, Jamal Jarrett, and everything that's going on with that. That's one that has become pretty contentious. And we all, you know, kind of knew that he was heading to Georgia, but the way he went about it has some Toriel fans a little ticked off. We'll see what Zach thinks about that all coming up tomorrow on the next edition of the podcast. Um, and we also have, you know, articles on the website about all of that stuff. You guys can check that out. Uh, especially that Rico Walker commitment article where we break down one of the more talented players in this entire recruiting cycle at the edge rusher position. What is Carolina getting him? What is he bringing that Carolina is still looking for? Read all of that in that article. And then, of course, we are going to have you covered with ACC Media Days tomorrow. I will be out there kind of doing double duty for the radio station and for the blog and podcast. So make sure that you guys are checking out all of that stuff. And then... We are getting closer and closer. Those position previews will be rolling out. I'm going to start those after fall camp gets underway just so that we can kind of get a feel for where things are at heading in. Um, And once we get those rolling, we'll have those breakdowns for you guys. Uh, I know you guys have loved those in the past, and it'll go through each and every position group and break down each and every player that is a part of those rooms. You don't want to miss that as well as all the other great articles even before we get into camp. We'll have the battles to watch in camp. We'll have the guys that uh, we'll be keeping an eye on just overall. All of that great stuff. And then, of course, as we get even closer to the season, remember we told I told you about one of my bold predictions from last year. That edition of the podcast is coming up. That article will be coming up. All that great stuff will be coming up here over the next few weeks It's an exciting time as we get closer and closer to the season, and you don't want to miss it, so head over to the website. Also, check out the social media pages, Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. Just search it in the uh, search bar at the top of the page. That's where you get all of this content that we've talked about in one central location, the articles, the podcast, and the video editions of the podcast when those eventually do return. And then you also want to head over to the Twitter page at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. You can check out our personal pages as well at HTB Anthony for me, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh, and at Hack Zubbard 2 for Zach Hubbard. Last thing, make sure if you are a listener to the podcast, you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on all the major podcasting platforms. So when you go onto that page, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the great additions coming up, including that uh, podcast that I talked about breaking down Rico Walker and and Jamal Jarrett's uh, decisions, as well as Phil Steele, Joe Broback, and a former Tar Heel, Sean Crocker, who is also on with us. Uh, Make sure you guys don't miss any of those great additions that will be coming up of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.